Uh, let's stand together and I'll read Ephesians three, fourteen through 21. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, <clears throat> may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever amen lord as we <clears throat> come to this text oh i just feel like i'm on the outside of of like a copper pipe and and just flowing through that pipe is just all of your ability and heart and desire and specific intent for the people in this room. And so Lord, would you just tap me into your heart for this morning as we come to your word, this rich deep, incredible prayer by the apostle for even us, Gentiles in Oregon, Lord. Change us. Do such a work by the Spirit in our hearts that we would leave this place just unable to go back to the way we were, just catapulted into just a treasure of deep splendor, of a relationship with you, and wanting more, not content with where we've been, but wanting more that you have for us. To, that to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, we want to know today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go ahead and be seated. Thanks, man. <laughs> Well, Ephesians so far has been oh, just so rich, and that word is even used many times in this book. You know, Paul has been laying out for two chapters, going into third, the third chapter. Wednesday night we'll be looking at the, the first part of chapter 3, and Paul has been laying out for us, as you look at chapter 1, verse 3, the deep blessings that God has given us in Christ Jesus. Like he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We just, oh man, like the text today is, is that we would know that. That we would get that. That we would just move beyond just the natural world and just what consumes us and 
just so focused on just what I see and what is here and what is now and I got to do this and I got to go there and, I gotta, and just step back and here we are. Step back today in church together, in the building anyways together and meditating on the deep blessings that he's given us. And for weeks we've just been going through the text that God in his great love and according to his purposes before he even created the world the universe anything that you've ever seen or known or thought of he had the christian in mind who at that point wasn't a christian not even created yet hasn't done anything good or bad but he had you christian in mind knowing that you would fall away knowing that you would rebel knowing that you would become spiritually dead he had you in mind. And he with great forethought and great loving intention and purposes according to his great plan and for the praise of his glorious grace with you in mind, he chose you. He called you after he had elected you and predestined you. These are biblical words. Because of his love, because of his grace, and for his glory, all of these rich blessings have been given to the Christian today. And so we went from that into seeing, yeah, and as you hear that, as you hear this good news, Christian, you believed in that, you trusted in that, was able to save your souls. You received another gift in salvation and that you received the Holy Spirit. He's a seal of your salvation. He's the guarantee that God will never let you go. And then in chapter two, he, well, in chapter one at the end, he then prays for us that we would get that and that all that he's going to be showing us, that he would be just wowing us that lord we would understand just what your great plan is in this whole history of things and then he goes into it as blaine taught while i was away just oh man could you just remember the bad news for a second do you remember where you were you were enemies alienated dead in trespasses and sins you walked hand in hand with the devil you were going to hell you were children of wrath God was angry with your rebellion and your sin. And those of you that are here today, you're not a Christian. You're not in Christ. You're still walking in, in a place of being alienated from God. And you're in trespasses right now. And you know it. You are a child of wrath right now. But the good news is, is that chapter 2 verse 4 says, But God, because of his mercy and because of his great love with which he's loved us, he made a way available for us by sending the Son, His Son, His only begotten Son. That whoever would believe in that Son wouldn't perish, wouldn't be the vessels of His wrath, but would rather be vessels of His mercy and His love to be poured into. Chapter 2 <clears throat> went on to just talk about how in this wonderful good news that came out of the bad because of Jesus we were adopted and given an inheritance and we were made 
into this new people group. See, before we were alienated from God because of sin, and we were also alienated from Jews because of sin. And the end of chapter 2 tells us that God, in his mercy and his great plan and his great grace, he's not only had a plan to save the Jews, but he's used the Jews' rejection of him to, to turn and save the Gentiles. And now he's creating one new people out of those two. That's crazy talk. Okay? Uh, I, was, uh, I had one of those Facebook memories pop up today. And it reminded me of four years ago, I was driving Barnes Butte Road, heading over to the Gish's house, and, uh, and I look in a driveway, and there's an elk, and standing next to the elk is a goat. <laughs> All right? Look it up on my Facebook feed. I shared it today. And, and you're driving along, you're like driving along, and you're driving along, and then you look over, and this elk and this goat, they're standing away from the road, exactly the same, and they're both looking at you like, the exact same look on their face, exact same body posture. And I, and I read my little inscription there and it said, caught in the act. You know, they're just like, oh, we're friends. You know, oh, 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 we're not supposed to be seen together. This doesn't happen. Interspecial relationships. Terrifying. Caught in the act. And that is what the Lord has done with the Jews and the Gentiles. He has saved us. And he didn't bring the Jews down to our level, and he didn't bring us up to the Jews or anything. He just said, whole new people group. That's what chapter 2 is about. We are, we are the redeemed, okay? We're the redeemed. This is incredible. And then chapter 3, as we'll look at Wednesday night, he goes into these 13 verses about, oh, people, you know, I've been entrusted with the stewardship of this incredible news of this this merging of the Jews and the Gentiles into one class, into one people, one race. And it's just, it's incredible. And that's what gets us into this prayer, verses 14 through 21, that is born out of this and yet looking forward to something else. Chapter three, uh, 1 through 3, he's just been laying this theology of all of the deep blessings of God to his people. And then chapter 3 just ends with just praise and just help us to get it, Lord. Help us to get it. A guy named Hanley Mool, uh, a preacher, said, who has not read and reread the closing verses of, of the third chapter of the Ephesians with the feeling of one permitted to look through parted curtains into the holiest place of the Christian life? Who has not just read and reread it? And as I study it, I get to do that. I just reread it and reread it. And, you know, and it, you just do. You just feel like... Like all that God has for us. All that God has for us. For us. And, and this is just such a great section. And so let's get into it. Verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, verses 1 through 13. Yeah, chapters 1 through 2. Yeah, those reasons. He's going to bow his knee. He's going to worship. He's going to pray. But 
as I kept studying the language and the tenses and all that stuff, it's actually pointing forward to what he's about to say. That, that, that here's the reason I'm going to bow right now and I'm going to worship and I'm going to pray. I'm going to bend my knees right now to worship. It's a picture and a posture of humble prayer. Kneeling was unusual to the Jew saying prayers. They would often stand. And so he kind of trips them up just a little bit by showing them a humble posture here. And just as I was reading this, I just was reminded of our park services that we've done recently this summer and, and different texts that we were in in the Psalms about raising our hands to the Lord and, and singing out songs to the Lord. And you got David, a warrior, and he's singing and he's encouraging people to sing and he's commanding people to sing to the Lord and to worship and lift up hands and bow our hearts. And here we have Paul just showing us a body posture that reflects a heart stance, that his heart was kneeling. And I just could hear even the men of our church, man's men, or men, just saying, you'll never see me bow in prayer. Never see me bow in prayer, it was really more how it was in my head. You'll never see me lifting my hands. Pshaw! Come on. You'll never hear me singing out. Well, then what will I see you do? What will I hear you do? I mean, if we can't grasp what Paul is grasping to a point where, boom, we hit the deck in awe and wonder and, ah! then we're too American. You know, we're too, go turn on the TV. We're too, let's just distract ourselves and medicate ourselves with, you know, Conan and Jimmy Fallon and, you know, NBC and, you know, and just let's, let's just, we're not spending time meditating on this, I'll tell you that, if I'll never hear you sing to Jesus. And as I look at the end of it all, I see nothing but billions of people and a whole host of angels singing out to Jesus, falling on their face before Jesus. This is not a trip of condemnation to just like, wow, man. this is, you have growth to do. You need to get before the throne of God and see what he has done for you. And you will too bow the knee before the Lord Jesus Christ. Hit the deck be like James, who they used to call old camel knees, because his knees were always rubbing against the floor, that that would be said of us. You see, we were created to be worshipers. That is in us. That is our DNA, worshipers. And so you're either going to worship and bow your heart and lift your hands and sing out to one thing, or you're going to do it to another. When you read the Old Testament, You've got almost everybody that seemed to be a Christian, if you will, you know, kick it up, you know, to, to a Christian level. And they had all gone and bowed the knee to Baal, a false god. Everyone had done it. Everyone had gone and, and forsaken Yahweh and went and, and worshipped Baal. And Elijah was so discouraged 
at such a backsliding. We have Ezra, who says, I'll fall on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. We've got Jesus Christ, who on the night of his passion went and fell down in the garden. He fell down and knelt down and prayed. We've got Stephen right before he was the first martyr that the church would ever see. And it says that after he got beat with rocks, he didn't say, I'm not really in the mood to kneel. Or, boom, 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 I guess all I can do is fall down. No, it was a conscious act of worship. In Acts chapter 7, when after being stoned, he willingly knelt down and cried out with a loud voice. Paul the Apostle regularly in public community with the saints would kneel down and pray. At one point, he's with women, kids, and men walking on the beach. I don't like sand and I don't like getting it in my shoes or my socks. And this guy goes down. And he kneels and he worships and prays. It's possible to pray kneeling. It's possible to pray standing and sitting and walking and even lying down. Although sometimes we feel that we agree with a man named William Hendrickson who said the slouching position of the body while one is supposed to be praying is an abomination to the Lord. That's not, that's not true, of course. But let's grow in letting our body posture reflect the posture of our heart. He's in prayer now to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We've talked about this adoption as we've been adopted into the household of faith. We are no longer children of wrath, but we are children of the king, children of the creator. We sang it today, no longer slaves to fear, but children of God. His blood flows through our veins. And every child has been given this name, verse 15 shows us. Just as my children born in my house are Rogers. And I'm just really trying to soak in right now that my little laner girl is still a Rogers. And I'm like, she's already seven and she just lost her first tooth. And the next thing I know, you know, She's going to change her name and that's going to happen. And I'm not ready for that. And I still have 40 years, but still, I just, <laughs> she's Laney Rogers. She's going to be a nun so that she can keep that name. But we see in the book of Revelation that two different rewards for those who would overcome are that he will give his name to us. He gives us a new name that nobody knows but him. But also he writes on us the name of God and the name of the city. Just like we write, you know, we send our kids off to summer camp and we write their name on everything that they've got. So they come back with it. Their backpacks on the way to school. And the Lord says, he's mine. She's mine. I write my name on them. And if we are part of the family of God, 
We have the seal of the Holy Spirit. We have the writing of the name of God upon us. And so here is Paul's knee-bent prayer. Verse 16. Here's what I pray. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Six different times in these three chapters, Paul refers to the riches of his grace and glory. That's at least twice a chapter. You do the math. I might be a little off. Three, six different times in three chapters. The praise, the riches of his glory, the wealth of his splendor. Another paragraph says, uh, or paraphrase says, this is in most generous manner, in most generous measure, that we would be strengthened with might, made mighty in his power. Do you feel weak today as you come here? You know, in a couple weeks, we'll be going through chapter 5. We'll be going through chapter 4. We'll, well, you do the math. Maybe then later 6, I guess, in whatever order, really, that we want to do it in. Chapter 4 is going to talk about the great necessity of being an active, intricate part of the church. Do you feel strong in that today? Chapter 5. You guys know it. Wives, submit to your husbands. How are you doing in that? Husbands, love your wives. I know you're not even doing that. Children, obey your parents. Not happening. Weaklings. Employees. Serve with diligence your employers. Employers, be kind to your employees. We're just going to get into a whole bunch of, you know your role, do it. You should be doing it. But none of those things ought to be just taken at, I, I know a Bible quotation verse, honey, and it's wives submit to your husbands like you do to God. Okay? You have completely stripped that out of your Bible like an evangelical cigarette. You drug on it until it made you feel good, and then you flicked it out to start a forest fire. People will die. Okay? And that's just quoting somebody else that said that. You've got to come back to... Chapter 5, verse 18. Don't be drunk with wine when you're trying to love your wives, but be filled with the Spirit. You've got to come back to chapter 3 here in verse 16. And you've got to be strengthened with His might by His Spirit in the inner man. If you are going to at all be able to do these things. And so if you are weak in these imperatives that we should do as Christians, we studied last Wednesday night, he has prepared you for good works so that you should walk in them. But don't try to do it on your own. Come before his grace and let him strengthen you with the prayer of the Apostle Paul, with the Spirit of God in your inner man. 
I love this old song that I used to sing in high school, and I think it's even from generations before me, quoting Isaiah. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men will utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. You guys know this. It's on every picture of an eagle that's hanging on grandma's wall. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. To those who have no might, he increases strength. It is a good thing to realize you have no might, that you cannot do it. It's Jesus himself who in his resurrected state, his ascended state, appeared to the apostle Paul and said, my grace is sufficient for you. And my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, hey, then I'm going to brag about how weak I am all the time because I need him. I need him. And it's when we tap into that that we say with Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because he gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. We see that this is through his spirit Paul is praying, give more of the Spirit, give more of the Spirit. Even Charles Hodge says that the indwelling Christ is a thing of degrees. There's just time that we just sense that we've been in His presence and there's just more of Him as we sing the song. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control or withhold. I don't know, I always get those confused, withhold, control. It does matter because, okay, anyways... I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Lord, I don't want this much of you or this much. Bring it all, Lord. I want more of you. And so also is the inward strength of the Holy Spirit. That we might be fortified in the inner man by the Spirit. Braced up by the Spirit. Invigorated that we would know the strength of the Spirit and His inner reinforcement. By faith, we receive this in the inner man. Our heart, our soul, the rational moral ego, the rational soul of man, which harmonizes with the divine will, but needs the strength of the Spirit of God to stay strong. This isn't the natural man. The natural man is at war with God. The carnal man is at war with God. There is a spiritual man that we have. And as we're born again, we're awakened to life. And we need strength. Strength to stay with the divine. Strength to walk in the Spirit. That's part of the new covenant. Jeremiah prophesied that in those days I will put my law in their minds and I'll write it on their hearts. So that when we're born again, we come to a place like Paul, I delight in the word of God according to my inner man. And so Paul prays for us that we would be strengthened with might. 
given energy in his might. Verse 17, that Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. First thing that he prays for in this, more of the spirit is a starting point for some. In verse 17, that Christ would dwell in your heart through faith. He's praying for some of the Ephesians right here that they would actually be born again. Yeah, they're going to church in Ephesus. Yeah, they're there as the letter is read. But for some, they've never believed and received the word of truth, the gospel of hope. They've never been born again. They've never had Christ come dwell in their heart. There's two different Greek words for the word dwell. And one means to stay, with, stay somewhere like you're staying in a hotel and it's just a temporary stay. But this language speaks of someone coming and making their home in a certain place. And so he prays for a bunch of maybe even churchgoers in Ephesus. You need to be born again. And I'm just praying that Christ would come dwell in you. Make your heart his home, his permanent residence as you believe in him. Notice the, the, the connecting point there, that it's through faith. Isn't that incredible? That's, that's the new covenant. That's the new testament. Jesus prayed it. I will be in them. I will be in them. And we, Father and Son, will come with the Spirit and make our home with him. Jesus prayed it again, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfect in one. Paul preaches in Romans 8, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, you are His. But if anyone does not have the Spirit, he is not His. And so first of all, a prayer that you would be born again. And then a prayer for growth, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Paul joins two different metaphors here. One botanical, where's Ron Halverson? He was a BLM botanist, and I was like, oh, Ron, you're going to like this. He's not even here. Oh, he's up visiting Mark. So one's botanical, a rooting and a grounding of a deep, tree, a deep root system, and the other is architectural, that there would be a grounding, a foundation of a building that even though the quake and the storm and all of those things come, it stays in place. That is a necessity for Christians. Jesus talks about seeds that are cast out by a farmer, and he says that the seed is the word of God. Just like today, did you know that right now there's seeds being cast out? And he says there's four different types of soils of the heart that these land on. And he says of one of them, that when the seed lands, the sun comes up and the seed is scorched because it had no root and it withered away. Regularly, it's a prayer of the leadership that God would go before the preaching of the word and cultivate the ground of the hearts of men, that the seed would land on fertile good soil and grow. There's to be a depth of earth. 
Verse 18, he prays that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. That we would have an understanding with all of the other Christians around us. That we would get it. That we would understand the love of Jesus. That we would consider it immeasurable. Even today as we look at this verse, that we would consider it this way and that way and the other way. And it says here that the love of Jesus has width. I want to know the width. I want you to know the width of the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus has width. You can look at a river and see how wide it is by how much ground it covers. Oh Lord, cover the ground with your love. Cover over my sin. Cover over every circumstance of my life. The opposite of his wide love would be of People thinking it is a narrow love. It's not a narrow love. It's a wide love. It's a love that says, whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's a wide love. It's a long love. The love of Jesus has length. When you're considering the love of Jesus, ask yourself, when did the love of God come to me and how long will it continue? It is an everlasting love, Jeremiah says. God says through Jeremiah, yes, I've loved you with an everlasting love. That's how long it is. It's a love of depth. The love of Jesus has depth. And Philippians 2 tells us how deep Jesus' love is for us. It says this, that Jesus made himself of no reputation. He took the form of a slave. He came in the likeness of men, even though he was God. He was found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So Philippians 2 basically starts out, Jesus, God, humbling himself and condescending to men. Just humbling himself to the point of taking on flesh, being draped in flesh. Hypostatic union is what we're talking about in theology. Clothing himself in flesh. And not only does he become a man, which would have been big enough, he becomes a man and then he becomes a servant man, which would have been big enough. But then as in his servitude, <clears throat> He gets down on his knees and he washes grungy Birkenstock feet. Okay? And he says, this is one way I'm showing you I love you. And if you love me, you got to love others this way. And as if that wasn't enough, then he goes and lays his life down for us. He dies for us. And as if that wasn't enough, it was the death of the cross. The most humiliating form of death. When you study the death of the cross, not only is it excruciating, which in Latin means out of the cross, excruciate, but it was humiliating. They would strip the victims bare, hanging naked on the cross, not up on some beautiful green hill, way off over there, that's what Jesus died on the cross for me. 
in your face on the highway at eye level, naked, defecating, beasts coming out of the hills and chewing on the bodies, normally for days on end. Jesus is there in the same place after having been beaten beyond recognition as a man next to two thieves in excruciating pain, being separated from the Father. That's how far he condescended until he was buried in the ground. How deep is the Father's love for us, we sing. How vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. I pray, Paul says, that you would comprehend, that you would get it with all the other Christians around you. The height, the depth, the width, and it does have height. The love of Jesus lifts us up to heavenly places where we are seated with Christ Jesus Job says it, can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They're higher than the heaven. What can you do? They're deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth. David says, as high as the heavens are high above the earth, so is his great mercy to those who fear him. I don't know about you, but as I look at these great adjectives, I say like David, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. But he wants us to attain it. He wants us to know. This language is used to express the infinitude of God, Charles Spurgeon says. The apostle employs a similar mode of representation to indicate the boundless nature of the object of the believer's knowledge. High, higher than high, deeper than deep, wider than wide, girther than girth. Infinite bounds is how much he loves you. Leslie Mitten expresses it from Romans 8:37 whether you go forward or backward or up to the heights or down to the depths nothing will separate you from the love of Christ and ancient commentators wrote further they saw these dimensions as illustrated at the cross for its upright pole reached down into the earth and pointed up to heaven while its crossbar carried the arms of Jesus, stretch out as if to invite and welcome the whole world. You guys remember that country song like back in 2000? When this guy finds no love at home, his father leaves him and abandons him. And he prays out to God, how much do you love me? And he sees a picture of Jesus and Jesus is saying, you guys remember that country song? I love you this much. I love you this much. What a great picture for us of the width of the love of Jesus shown in his arms stretched out on the cross. The length, the depth, the width, the height, the breadth. Armitage Robinson calls it pretty fancy. (laughs) This language of how deep his love is. 
fanciful, but it affirms that the love of Christ is true. Verse 19, move along with me. To know the love of Christ with, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He wants us to know the love of Christ. It's an experiential love that we can be familiar with. The philosophers would say that religion is a matter of belief, not of knowledge, kind of a blind faith. But this is in clear opposition to Scripture. We can know, and Paul prays that we would. Moving right along, that you would be filled with the fullness of God. Chrysostom, the golden tongue preacher of the third century, writes, The fullness of God is that excellence of which God himself is full. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at how God himself is full when the church is with him. Just as I am full as a husband when my better half is with me, so is he full when his bride, the church, is with him. That we would know that love. Verse 20, there's this, it's like this prayer is so cool as he's going on. And he's just like, oh, I want you to know the love of Jesus. How deep, how wide, how, you know, oh, yes, that you would know. And then there's like, it's like there's a red button in Paul's prayer that says turbo on it, you know. And everyone's like, what's this button doing? He's like, don't push that button. And then in the prayer, boom, he pushes the button. And, you know. As if it wasn't fast enough, right? Here it excels. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. He just pushed the button. He says, I'm going to worship the Lord right now. Because he's going to show us his great love. He's going to do things us. It's just beyond what we could even consider. And he's able to do it. I am the Lord, he says. There is nothing too hard for me. My arms are not too short that I cannot save. In fact, I can save to the uttermost. I am able to keep you from stumbling, Jude chapter 1. I am able to deliver the boys from the fiery furnace. I am able to answer King Darius's question that yes, I'm able to deliver from the lion's den. I am able to do it exceedingly and abundantly more than you even know what to ask for. Exceedingly, abundantly above. Spurgeon says he's constructed here in the Greek an expression which is altogether his own. You know me, I've got Roryisms. Jeremy's got a list of them. I don't know how to talk good, and so I just start talking and whatever comes out. Sometimes they make sentences and things. And that's basically what Paul does here. He says, it says, Spurgeon says, no language was power enough for the apostle when he says, exceedingly, abundantly, shubadabadubaraba. I mean, for the Holy Ghost speaking through the apostle, for very often Paul has had to coin words and phrases to show forth his meaning, and here is one. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly, so abundantly that it exceeds the measure of description. Clark writes, therefore, he's able to do all things and able to do super abundantly above the greatest abundance. 
all that we even ask or think, he's able to read our thoughts. Maybe if I ask it, then he'll know about it. He also knows about it when you don't ask it. And he's able to do it when it's a thought in your head. Listening to one preacher, he said, God is able to do all that we ask him to do. Amen. Let's ask it. Let's pray. Let's pray between every breath and let's ask these things. But beyond that, the preacher says, he's able to do all that we dare not ask him to do. Oh, I don't dare ask him to do that. Well, he's able to do it. But beyond that, he's able to do more than we dare not ask him to do. And beyond that, he's able to do far more than we dare not ask him to do. And beyond that, he's able to do very much more than we dare not ask him to do. Are we even asking him? He is able. And Paul says, now unto him who is able. In other words, not only is it awesome that he's able to do it, but he's, it's time to praise him. It's time to worship him. And that will be the next verse. But the Amplified Bible, which amplifies the sentence by bringing out the Greek uh, definitions, it says, now to him who by his power within us is able to do far more than we ever dare ask or imagine. He's able to do it. I was out moving cows with Joe Papanon and Hieronimo, my new friend Hieronimo. And after we moved the, uh, the heifers, we went over and he says, okay, I've got to get two 4-H steers out of about 150 steers here. And we're in a giant pivot. And he's like, one of them's black and one of them's a black baldy. So... Out of 150 and probably nine-tenths of them are just entirely black Angus. We've got to pick that one out of there. Okay? And his tag number is 73. Okay, so get them all together in a bunch. And... I'm just, just going to move a little closer to see if I can see that tag number too. going to move a little, you know, hey, I think that black baldy right on the end, I think that's number 40. And we're, he's right by the pen, so just ease on in there. We're going to just push him right on over there. Okay, sweet. Okay. Everywhere. Two hours goes by. You know, bring him around. Okay. Rory, you play defense, kind of keep him around. We're going to go in there. We're going to bring him on in. Get number 73, the black on in there. Shut the gate, back the trailer, beep, 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 beep. Open the gate. Come on, go in there, go in there. <laughs> Jumps over the gate. <laughs> okay. I think I'm breathing hard now. Poor Hershey's kiss that I was on was like. <laughs> okay. Bring him back around. Get, get a little uh, number 73. Loads, loads in there. Geronimo. Joe, we're all off our horses and we're just like, okay. That was like two and a half hours. We got one more to go get. <laughs> like, wouldn't it work pretty good to just take him down to the barn? It's like 200 yards away over there. Okay, so I go, the whole time, the Lord's like, hey, this is an opportunity for me to show my power and might 
to Hieronimo. I want you to pray out that I'm the God who put the thousand animals in the ark, and I'm going to get these two steers, and I'm going to put them in that little horse trailer. So do it. If I pray loud enough, they're going to break again. You know? Just do it, Roy. Just do it. I don't want Hieronimo to think I'm weird or anything. And so finally, I just am like, guys, can we just pray that the Lord will just do this? And Joe's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Just pray. Lord, you're the God. I got the animals on the ark. We've thrown about 10 loops so far. We're not doing too good. Our batting average is pretty poor. We go down, we get this steer, we start trailing him back up. He breaks, starts heading for the rest of the herd. Hieronimo, after probably 10 loops thrown, ping, headshot, right? Joe, after probably, you know, I think total it was 10, so I think Joe had a good six in there. Double heel. Just like that. Steer goes down. We wrap him up nicely. We lead him on in. Goes right into the horse trailer. Guys, the kingdom of God is right here. Right here. Like, he is here. And if we would just live with the knowledge that, last time I checked, Jesus isn't dead on the cross anymore. He rose from the dead. Okay? He wants to be included in everything we do. Of course, we're hanging trim up at my house yesterday. Painting it. Have to paint like 200 and something square foot or linear feet of trim. Hang it up. Got to get ready for home group. Russell, why don't you just hurry up and paint that stuff? And And the Lord's like, remember that whole thing about praying and letting me help out? Yeah, well, that was for cattle work. You're not into trimming, I mean. He's like, okay, if you want to try and do it on your own, we'll just see how that works. It doesn't work good. Guys, let's bring our dreams, anything that we might ask for and and dream of and imagine, bring it. And just even have the prayers that are like, I don't even know what to think, God, but I'm, I'm trying to think. And just, would you do above and beyond it? Now, that's a great motivational speech right there. Put on a little wireless mic and fill up an auditorium. And Do you guys know that God is able to do above and beyond what you could even think? Yeah, oh yeah, buy the t-shirt. But it doesn't end there. Because a lot of us think the wrong things. Thinking of a Ferrari right now, Lord. I'm thinking of this and that and every other thing that will just satisfy my flesh. He is the one that does it beyond our wildest imagination. And what for and why and how and when? Verse 21. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. When is he going to do this and move in a mighty way? Because I'm praying for Hieronimo and I prayed it. I just said it. Dios mio, 
Spiritual Santo. And El Trailero. You know, I'm, I'm just like. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, show Geronimo your mighty power. According to you who is glorified in the church forever. And afterwards, Joe and I are just giving God all the praise and all the glory. And Geronimo is hearing it. Pray for Geronimo. We want to see him come to know Jesus. And whatever it is that your dream is, or you need the kingdom of God now to be moving in your life, not so that you'll advance, not so that you'll live in the lap of luxury, but so that he will get praise and glory and people will go from wherever you are at where you just saw that happen and they will talk of your power, his power and his mighty deeds. This is in history now and this is in history past and this is in history future. Amen. Lord Jesus, as the worship team comes up, by the Spirit, Lord, we pray with Paul right now. We pray this prayer. We bow our knees. We bow the knees of our heart. We position ourselves here on this Sunday This little town, this little former bowling alley, plumbing building, and all state insurance office. And here we are, saying, God of the universe, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we want to know your love. We want to know the depth and the height and the breadth the width of your love, which passes knowledge, but you want to give us knowledge of it. You want us to experience and be familiar with the love of Jesus. Testify of Jesus, God. Testify, Holy Spirit, in this place. As we look at the cross, as we remember those arms spread out wide in a loving embrace, for all who would call upon him, they would be saved. Push the thrust button in our heart, God. Lord, that we would believe you to be the God who moves today in 2016, going in 2017. That you're able to work revival in our homes in our community, in the same way you did in Ephesus, when those who worshipped Artemis, Diana of the Ephesians, were radically transformed, that there was a genuine work of revival that happened in Ephesus. We pray that great prayer of faith for Prineville, that you would save the Hieronymos, the Noelias, Lord, that you would save the Patricks, the Steves, the Henrys, the guy tossing the tire next to us at Les Schwab, the woman working at Wagner's. You would save the moms at the school dropping their kids off, just in frantic and in stress, Lord. 
Save the cowboys of this community. Lord, save the bankers. Do above and beyond what we could ever ask or think. Lord, use a revival at Facebook to lead to just mad revival starting from Prineville that would just spread through Mark Zuckerberg's life, Lord. Just what could we even dream of? That We got Apple and Facebook here, God. What would you do? Light a fire, a bonfire here that spreads out of this community, God. I don't even know how to think or dream, but it's way bigger than whatever I've tried before. And you are able so that you would be glorified so that people would praise you in Spanish, in Aramaic, in German. We long for that day, Lord. And Lord, I pray that in this room and in this place, the people that came through the door this morning, children of wrath, alienated from God, dead in trespasses and sins, they have heard the word of truth, which is mighty to save, and right now, they would believe you. And if that's you right now, he's shown you and he's bringing faith by the word of God being preached. Believe him. And you might just say, Lord, I don't know how this all works. I don't have it all figured out. This is, these are deep things for me. I'm confused from things I've heard in the past. But all I know is you're here and you're in this place right now. And I'm hearing something that I know to be true. And I know it's you talking to me right now. And so, Lord, I bow my knee, the knee of my heart, and I ask to be saved. I ask to be saved right now. Save me from my sin. Save me from just this wake of destruction behind me that I have left. Save me from a filthy mouth. And from eyes that look at filthy things, from feet that want to wander to filthy places, and hands that want to be involved in filthy things, God, save me. Take my garments of trash and clothe my heart, my inner man that Rory spoke of today, with garments of white righteousness. Do above and beyond what I could even ask or think in my life for your glory. And we all believe that you are working in this church. You're working in the churches around this world. And we give you glory both now and forever. Amen. Let's stand together and worship. If today you prayed that prayer in your heart and you're a Christian today for the first time. First time you've even thought one day I'll be a Christian. You're a Christian now. Worship with us today this God who loves you so much.